Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 94, Different Methods of Tracking Student Participation. So in this episode, Denor and I are going to tackle some different ways of tracking student participation, both in online and in in-person classes. This is one of those things that a lot of teachers say, well, how do you keep track of their participation? I don't know their names. You know, there's 40 of them, at least at my campus there are. You know, there's too many of them for me to keep track of who's who. I feel stupid saying, okay, so you just participated. What's your name? Because if I keep doing that, it's obvious that I don't know their names. This is a problem I've had. We're just going to take this short episode to talk about different methods that we have seen, used, and read about that people use as teachers to keep track of student participation. One of the ways that I used to do it in person was the tried and true seating chart. You can set up an Excel sheet with a seating chart and then bold the names of each student as they raise their hand or otherwise participate. And then after class, it's a little easier to go through the chart and mark each bolded person's participation in your gradebook. There are also ways to set up an Excel spreadsheet so that your gradebook spreadsheet can look at the seating charts sheet and note which names are bolded and put credit into the credit column automatically for that day. So once you bold somebody's name, their participation credit appears in the column. You don't even have to do anything. I did that for several years when I was doing in-person classes before I flipped my classrooms. Oh, some teachers like to do in-person cold calling on students. I'm personally not a fan of this technique because I assume that most of my students are not about to be trial lawyers. So putting my students on the spot has really limited upside for me as a teacher. And I really don't need my students freaking out. And I don't want my students freaking out that they're going to get called out on a day that they might not be 100% caught up on material. And as teachers, we know that not all our students are going to be 100% caught up every single day throughout the entire term. To think otherwise would be pretty foolish. Oh, to me, cold calling on students makes the classroom a little too much of a high stakes environment because of the embarrassment factor. Now, if that is a motivation factor for a student to get the reading done, by all means use it. But as a teacher, I really don't like it because I think it makes the classroom a lot less conducive to learning. Another way to do it in person is, um, I've read about this, get colored index cards or even just index cards. and. Let's say you want every student to participate no more than two times. Like you're trying to, maybe you've got a class full of extroverts and they all want to participate all the time and it's really noisy and there tends to be students who dominate the classroom and then nobody else gets to talk. So then in this case, take a set of index cards, write every student's name on a card or on two cards if you're going to give them two chances to participate and put these up at the front of the room. So when they come in, one of the things they have to do is go up, find their two cards and sit down with them. Then during lecture, as they participate, pick up their cards. So if they've put their hand up and they've asked a question or answered a question, okay, now I'm coming over to get your card, Denor, and so you have one more card. Then at the end of the class, take those cards, tell them to turn in their cards at the front, but keep the ones you've already picked up and then just go through them. Okay, I've got two cards from Denor, so he gets two participation points. I've got one card from Adam, he gets one. I've got six cards, I've got two cards from Jane, she gets two. So 
basically then you just put all the cards back together and then the next day put the cards at the front again students come and pick up their cards again and this way you've got control over how many times students participate so if you've got a class that's just everybody wants to be on the spotlight and and nobody's giving each other a turn or taking turns or making space you can use these as kind of a you your parliamentary five minutes you get you know this much time to talk but that's it because there are other people who also need to participate and make sure to communicate that with your students. Let them know, here's how many participation points you can max out per class or for the term. Just so that we know that a lot of times students are participating in part because they're freaking out about the grades. So being able to set those limits and being clear very early on goes a really long way. I found that setting limits with students and being more concrete about structure will probably help too. I was I know that last semester I was just way too open about what students could and could not do. And a lot of them felt really adrift and unmoored, like, I don't know what you expect. So this semester, I've been more clear about that. But this participation card thing, I've also read that it really helps not just to tone down the over extroverted, really excited, I, you know, I'm a 10 out of 10 on participation kids, but also the ones who are normally very shy. Because if you have a participation card, that tells you, first of all, you have a right to talk, you have a right to participate, but also it gives you a little time to think about what you want to say. Like if you've got a card, like you could have a student, you could maybe set up a thing where if you think you're going to want to participate, but you need a minute to think, hold your hand up with a card in it or turn your card over or set, set a card on your desk. Okay. Show me that you're thinking about participating and I'll give you the extra 20 seconds that you need to put your answer, or your question together because some students need a little extra time to think before they speak. So the cards thing can really work well uh, for, for, for in-person classes where you've got you know, rambunctious students and really quiet students. It gives the one a set of limits and it gives the other permission. One of the things that I did when we were meeting face-to-face -face was I would have a list of people who participated in each class or in each lecture. And what I would do would be at the end of class, maybe the last five minutes, I would have students who participated. They were asking questions, making comments, raising their hand frequently to ask questions or to participate. They would sign their names on a piece of paper and they could get credit for participating up to two, maybe three times in the lecture. And because it was done the day of that class, I could remember who spoke. I had at least remember faces. And that was a way of making sure that no one was sneaking undue credit and the people who did participate even if it was just through hand raising, got their credit. When we were still meeting face to face, I would have students take a quiz at the start of class using Socrative. And the way my flipped classrooms were structured is you'd come in, you would have seen the lecture, you know, on video, on YouTube, or listen to a podcast or whatever. And then I'd give you a quiz on the main points. The quiz was not part of your grade, except that it measured that you were there to participate. And then once we went over the quiz, then we would have in-class activities. And the in-class activities were always small groups, get together, here's a list of things to work on, do it together, and then turn in your group's responses into Google Form. So I never had any names on the Google Form. I never had any group numbers. It was just, here's what we think, here's what our answer to this question is, right? So very anonymous. Well, then how did I know who was there? They were at the quiz. They took the quiz at the beginning of the, of the class. And how did I know that they were participating? Because they worked in groups. And the group work was never more than four or five students in a group. So I could look around and immediately see if someone was not participating. And if that happened, I would get up and say, hey, what's going on? I'm not, I don't see you talking. I don't see you entering anything on the Google form. 
how are you participating? So I would nudge them to do it. So once they got credit for doing the in-class activity, that was essentially participation credit. Now for online classes, you've got to look at who's participating. Are they chatting in the Zoom chat? Are they unmuting themselves? Do you count raising hands, meaning the actual signal for raising the hands as participating? Or do you only count asking and answering questions? Now for me, I count raising hands in face-to-face -face classes, but when I'm looking at 40 to 50 windows on a laptop window and I've got my slides open, I'm sure I miss it. So I have my students participate in the Zoom chat and just keep me up to date. And I'll ask them kind of like I do in person, is everything clear? Does this make sense? And I'll keep peppering my students with questions because just because we're online doesn't mean that I'm changing everything in how I teach. I'm trying to bring some aspects from the in-person classroom to that. But I also know that I've got to change how I do participation. When it comes to online asynchronous, when you're not meeting in real time, when you're not meeting in live time, discussion boards are an excellent way to measure student participation. Now, at this point, you might not want to say these are participation points, but this can also give you an idea of not just how much they're participating, but what their engagement levels are. I remember one time uh, last semester, I was looking at a discussion board, and there was a kid who was quite obviously going to the dictionary and copying the term and then copying the, the definition from the dictionary. And granted, that was also plagiarism. You know, you're not supposed to do that. But I reached out to this kid and I said, you know, David, why aren't you, you know, what is going on here? Because I told you in the directions, don't do that. And he's all, well, I just, I feel stupid if I don't have the right answer. And I, I and everybody else seems to understand what they're talking about, and I don't. And I said, okay, how are you preparing for discussion boards? And he said, well, I just come into the discussion board. So he was coming in not having watched the lecture because he didn't realize he had to. Sometimes you have to give them a lot of handholding and say, hey, you know. But once he realized what he was supposed to do and he started actually watching the lectures and taking notes, his participation, as in the number of times he actually came to the discussion board and did something there, went up dramatically. So seeing their discussion board, seeing what they're doing in the discussion board, especially if it's a required board, can really give you an idea of are they participating? Because a discussion board is an almost inherently interactive area. And what we want in participation is for students to interact, right? Not just with, not just with us as the teacher, but with each other in the class. And so if you also set up your discussion boards where it's, all right, here are a list of 10 questions, answer four of them, and then respond to two other people on two other questions. Well, that responding to other people, there's their participation. And one of the things that I like doing, in addition to those discussion boards, I let my students email me about the material, and I count that as participation. Now, that could be, hey, I was watching your lecture on stigma, and you mentioned character stigma, and I have no idea what you're talking about, because that's the same as asking me in a, in a real-time class, what are you talking about when you mean say this? But I've also had students find news stories or news articles and say, hey, I thought about this because of what we talked about in this class, and I wanted to know what you think. I absolutely count that as participation because that's showing me that they're engaged with the material. And if they're watching the news and they're able to connect it to stuff we've learned, then that's a really, really good thing in my book. The other thing that's an advantage with the emails is that, again, let's think about the introverts. Right. There are students who are really anxious about saying it in front of everybody. And 
being able to just send the teacher an email and say, hey, Dr. Bloom, when we looked at um, strain theory today, I was wondering if this thing that I read about or that I saw in the news is an example. Can you tell me? All right, maybe they didn't do it in the classroom, but they're still giving you their feedback on what they learned from the lecture and tying it to something outside of it. When you get an email like that, be happy. That's definitely a participation point. One other advantage, in addition to being able to help our introverted students, having something written goes a really long way because I can always go back and say, oh, you're right. I forgot to give you points for mm -hmm. this. Whereas when it's verbal only, you've got to rely on me being able to see the name consistently enough and jot it down. And that can be hit or miss, especially in a bigger class. So if I have something written, whether that's on a discussion board, whether that's an email or a chat or a comment in the Zoom chat, because I can always save those transcripts, that helps me know who actually participated. And it's also why I have my students identify themselves. So whenever I have a student that appears as iPad or iPhone, I tell them, look, if you participate, there's no one listed as iPad or iPhone in the grade roster. I'm not able to help you. So make sure to be able to identify yourself so I can help you with this grade. You know, you're also making me think about the fact that what we also could do is you could make, you know, different kinds of participation. Like if you are an introvert, send me an email. If you're an extrovert and we're in an asynchronous class, but you really want to talk about it, put up a video. All right, go to YouTube. Do, do a YouTube live, send, you know, put that link in the discussion board, right? And I know that there are uh, certain apps. I think one of them is, it's not Snapchat. What is the one I'm thinking of where you can, you know, basically send videos? Is it Padlet? I can't remember the name of it, but there's an app where students can basically contribute by recording a quick video, selfie video from their phone. And they send it and it goes right to everybody in the class and then other students can respond to it and respond back. Listeners, if you know which app I'm talking about, please let us know. Um, Adam at undergradeasier.com. Just email me and let me know because now I'm going crazy trying to remember what, what app this was. Another thing you can do is if you're used to having students do things like think, pair, share, or go into a breakout room, right? That can also give ways to give credit for participation. I mean, if they're doing an activity, that's participating, right? And if everyone is doing it, then everyone gets participation credit and you don't have to say, well, John did it and Jane did it and Jose did it, but Julia didn't and David didn't and Malcolm didn't. No, you can just say they were all in class. They all did the think, pair, share. They participated. If you can, try to structure your class so that participation is an everyone gets it today thing and only those who are absent will miss out on it instead of trying to dole it out one person at a time, which as Denor has already talked about and as I've already talked about, if you can't remember whether that kid was John or Jake, you're not sure who the participation credit goes to. But if they all did the activity, then they all get credit. And that's easier for everyone. It's easier for you as a teacher to keep track of. And it's a lot less stress for students if they know there's always going to be some kind of activity. I'll always get my participation credit because I'm doing the activity. And you can always offer your students some extra credit when they participate throughout the term consistently. But you can give them grade boosts. I know that I give my students, I think, up to two or three extra credit points on their extra credit column. But also, if they've maxed the, if they've maxed out, they've done the extra credit and they're borderline, I'm always going to bump them up because to me, that consistent effort needs to be rewarded. And I feel like it would be punishing them for doing all the right things if I didn't bump them up a little bit. So that's what we have for you in episode 94. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. 
We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com. And also, we'd really appreciate it if you could write us a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to join us next week for episode 95, when we'll talk about the myths of learning styles. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. And we look forward to seeing you next week.